All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 again. We're going to finish up chapter 8, finish up what I would consider is the third section of Romans, and uh, we're going to talk today about our security, our current security. Now, why are we going to do that? Well, think about what we've been doing with Romans. We've been studying Romans, trying to understand our faith, because again, a lot of folks, when you talk to them about what they believe, they, they can maybe answer some questions, but then when people want to know a little bit more, they, they don't really know what to say. They don't really know why they believe what they believe. And so we've been trying to address that issue through Romans, because in Romans, Paul expresses his theology. He expresses his understanding of salvation and what salvation does for us and what it means for us. And so again, beginning of Romans, he expressed the whole issue of condemnation, that the world is condemned. And he goes through several different groups of people pointing out that really mankind is without hope, but there's Jesus. And what has Jesus done? He's provided salvation. And through salvation in Christ, we've been what? Justified, accepted with him. And we have a new standing. And, and then with that new standing, we need to develop a new mindset. What does that mean? We need to understand that we're no longer enslaved to the power of sin in our life. We've been set free from that. We died with him. We've been raised up. You have a new standing. And so you can say no to the power of sin. But remember, when we got to chapter 7, it was very clear, though, that even though we have this power now to say no to sin, we still what? sin. And we get defeated by that, right? In fact, we understand what Paul's saying. The good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I want to, don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who could save me from this body of sin? But thanks be to Christ Jesus, right? And he shows that we have been freed from the law because we have the Spirit. And so we have this life in the Spirit. But the life in the Spirit does not remove you from, here's the big one, this is the one we struggle with, doesn't remove you from suffering. It doesn't remove you from difficulties. Some that we create for ourselves, but a lot of it has to do with just living in this world. And I think one of the biggest lies that is out there in Christendom, especially in North American Christendom, is this concept that when I come to Jesus, everything's supposed to be okay. But have you realized already by this point, that's a lie? Because not everything is okay, right? And you suffer, and so that comes out here. And so what he's been doing, especially we talked about this last week, is trying to help you to understand that we're anticipating something better. We have to have a bigger picture. We have to have a bigger picture of what's coming, the hope beyond this place. And that's where we rest. Not in now that everything's going to be better now. Chances are it's not. But that our hope is somewhere else and we look to him. And so he's going to wrap that up. And especially because if you think about what we've talked about so far is, is you do wrestle with defeat in your life. You do wrestle with the fact that you still sin even though you don't, you have the power to say no to sin. And you do struggle with the suffering that happens in your life. 
And so all of that just weighs in on, well, then wait a minute now, where am I in my relationship with God? Because I'm a failure. I do wrong things. And it's not turning out the way that I think it should, because in our culture, you achieve to receive status. So therefore, I'm not achieving God, so how can I have status with you? And the reality is, that's not what it's based on. You are secure in your relationship with him. Now, I've said this before. It's, it's not about you. It's about him, what he's done for you. Okay, I understand that. That's salvation. But what about right now with what I'm living every day? Again, it's not about you. And we're going to see that. So look with me. We're going to look at verses 28 through 39. So here we go. Let's look with me. Verse 28. Here's what he says. You guys know this verse. Some of you quote this verse to each other. Here's what he says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, or things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. What a powerful passage. Now again, some of you know that first verse, verse 28, because I hear you guys quote that sometimes to each other. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But what I want you to see is, is this verse, these verses from verse 28 through 39, if there was ever a section of Paul's theology that helps us to understand where you are at right now in your relationship with Jesus, it's this, these verses. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's these verses. And these verses, if, if I could say it out loud, I'll say it. 
This is what it's about. It's not about you. It's about who? Jesus. I need you to see that. Now, what do you mean you need me to see that? Well, I want you to understand some things. So here, the bigger picture. This is the first thing. We're going to look here in verse 28 and 30 through 30. All right, here's what it is. Verse 28. Verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good to those who are called according to his purpose. You guys know that verse because a lot of times you have it quoted to you. What do you mean quoted to me? Well, typically what happens is, is that I hear this oftentimes, when you have a brother or sister in church and they go through it, a lot of times people will come up, which is the normal thing to do, and they will try to encourage them through a crisis. And when they face that crisis, what will happen is the brother or sister who's trying to encourage them will come up and they'll say to them, it's going to be okay. Well, and then the natural response is, well, how do you know that? I'm going through this right now and these are the difficult things that are happening. How can you say that? Well, Romans 8.28 says, for we know that all things work together for the good. So it's going to end up okay. And so they'll quote that verse. You ever had somebody do that for you? Yeah, maybe you've done that. I've done that in the past. Well, can I, can I point out to you, I wasn't necessarily right doing that. Everything's going to work out for the good, but the timetable that I was expressing was wrong. We use it in the short term, like you're going to get through this crisis and everything's going to turn out okay, but here's the problem. The problem is a lot of times things don't turn out okay, right? So what happens is, is then the faith of the one who is going through it, they're like, well, God, you didn't bring me through that okay. It gets a blow. You didn't show up like you were supposed to, Lord. This, I thought this was all going to turn out okay. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a bigger picture. So here's what I want you to see. Here's the first thing I want you to see from this passage. Here it is. God weaves all of our experiences together for your ultimate good. For your ultimate good. All of your experiences are weaved together for your ultimate good. So what do you mean, George? When you think about your life, your life is a set of experiences, right? You have in your life good experiences. You have in your life bad experiences, traumatic experiences, things that you wish nobody else would ever go through. And we try to make sense of those things. And when we're with other believers who lovingly come to us, they'll quote this verse. And, and we, we don't understand how's that possible because the outcome has not been good. How, how's it going to work to the good in my life right now? I don't understand. But here's what Paul is saying. Paul's not talking about right now. He's talking about get a bigger picture to later on. All things work together for the good later on. For his ultimate purpose. What's his ultimate purpose? If you look there in verse 28, for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? You becoming like him, you becoming a new person, 
So, okay, so I look at my life, okay? So here it is. I came to Christ, 1985, 19-year-old, studying engineering in, at the University of South Carolina. Within the year after my, 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 my becoming a Christian, my father is killed, robbed, murdered in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm struggling. Like, what, why is this taking place? Why is this happening? And, and I'm loving people in the little church that I went to. I went to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And, and I had people lovingly come up to me and say to me, Romans 8, 28, it's going to be okay, George. How's it going to be okay? How's that going to be okay? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? My daddy's dead. How's that going to be okay? If I took the verse the way they presented it. But that's not the way Paul's presenting it to us, is he? He's going to weave all of our experiences, the negative ones that have happened to you, the positive ones. He weaves them all together for the ultimate purpose. Get a bigger picture. The bigger picture is what we become later with him. In fact, he expresses that, we're going to see it here, is in verse 29 and 30. Here, he, So that you understand what his purpose is, look with me at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, also glorified. Here's what I want you to see. In his ultimate plan, it is his ultimate plan that you become like Jesus. That's his ultimate plan. And his ultimate plan is that you become like Christ. I've become more convinced of that as I get older. It isn't about what I achieve in this world. It isn't about any of that. It, it has become now, who am I becoming? Am I becoming like him? Why do you think he tells you in every book of the New Testament that if you are a follower of his, you will what? Suffer as he did. So that you will what? Be exalted as he was glorified as he was. Isn't that what Paul's saying in these verses? This is his plan for us. Now, I know sometimes we, we tell people when they come to Christ, and I, I've been through many gospel presentations and been in many churches. I remember when I was a younger believer in Christ, and, and we tell people, oh, if you just come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. You ever heard that? If you just come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Now, why do we say that? Because we want them to come to Jesus. Now, the problem is we're giving them this wrong understanding of life because you can still come to Jesus and what? Have problems. Have life cave in on you. Have wrong things happen. But what I look at is not at the immediate. I look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that he uses the experiences of, of my life, negative and positive. He weaves them together. 
for his ultimate purpose is that I become like Jesus and that I will ultimately be glorified with him. This is, this is the thing he wants us to see. Now, he said, now what does that got to do with my current security? Because I'm still feeling awkward, George. I know this is what he wants to do in my life. I know that he's trying to move me to become like Christ. But the problem is, okay, I'm living in Romans 7, George. I'm living in the good that I want to do. I don't do that which I want to do. I don't want to do. I do. Where does that come in? Because that's got to affect my relationship with the Lord. Because, I mean, look, I know what it's like if I do wrong with my spouse, there's ice. And i got to figure out how to thaw that and, and, and somehow bring the relationship. And so surely it's the same thing when I do wrong with God. Surely there, I know there's ice there. How, how do I, how do I, obviously it changes it, doesn't it, George? No, no, it doesn't. How do you know that? Because he gives you the biggest group of verses about your assurance. And when you read this, you're going to realize it's not about you. Your relationship with Christ is not about you. It's about who, folks? Jesus. So let's look at it together. We're going to see six things here. Let's take it a few verses at a time. So first of all, so that you understand as you're going through life, as struggles are happening, even if you're right in the midst of it right now and you don't know how you're going to get out of it, look with me at verse 31. Here's what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is with us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can be against us? Here's what I want you to see. As a believer, no one will ultimately prevail over you. No one. No one will ultimately prevail over you. I'm reminded, so years ago when I was a younger believer in Christ, as a college student, we had a, a uh, Romanian pastor who at that time, this is before 1989, so the wall was still up. So this Romanian pastor was living in exile, so that is he fled the country. He was very prominent in the country and a prominent voice for Christ. So he fled the country and... Uh, I remember I drove him around to different churches in Columbia and as well as speaking on the University of South Carolina campus. And uh, he, he shared the story in his stories of listening to him that he was arrested many times and being interrogated. And when he would be in interrogation, he would be in this room and they would be interrogating him about his teaching and so forth. And then this, this, uh, this general walk, would walk in and tell all the other underlings, all the others, to leave the room. So it was just him and the general. And then the general would proceed to beat him and torture him. Then that would end, he would leave, the other guys would come back and finish their interrogation. That time that happened, the pastor said he screamed, he yelled, because this was taking place. So the next time the general came in, same routine happens. General comes in, tells the underlings to get on out of here for a minute. I just need to talk to him alone. 
And so uh, this pastor, Pastor Joseph, braced himself for the interrogation. He knew what was coming. But then it occurred to him to say something. So here's what he said to the general. He said, General, before you begin, I need to apologize. And the general was caught off guard by that. You need to apologize to me. What do you need to apologize for? He said, I need to apologize for screaming the other time you were in here. I want you to think about that. He's apologizing for screaming while he's being tortured. So that shook the general, like, what do you mean you need to apologize for screaming? He said, I need to apologize for screaming because I realized that this is the Holy Week. Now, do you understand what the Holy Week is? The Holy Week goes by another name. It also goes by the name of the Week of Passion. It is the week before Easter. And he realized that I should not have screamed because I was counted worthy to suffer the week that my Lord suffered for me. So the general was caught totally off guard and sat down. Then he said to the general this, you know, if you kill me, my messages are on cassettes throughout this nation. And if you kill me, people will listen to them more because they'll say these are sprinkled with his blood. He was willing to die for this message. So guess what they did with him? They kicked him out of the country. This is the point I want you to see. No one will prevail over you. Now, it may not be that in that situation you might get out with your life, but then that's not the point, is it? You may lose your life. But you still ultimately prevail. Why? Because you got a bigger picture. This life is only for what? The moment. Eternity is for what? Forever. And so what he's saying to you is when you think about your relationship with Christ, here's what I want you to see. No one will ultimately prevail over you. Here's the other thing he says. Look with me at verse 33 through 34. This one is interesting. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What does that mean, a charge? Who's going to bring an accusation against God's elect? Now, who's God's elect? God's people, okay? Who's going to bring an accusation against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Who's going to condemn God's people? Good questions, right? Because especially if you're like, my relationship with God is different now because I'm a sinner, you're back in Romans 7. So who is it that's going to bring the accusation? Who is it that's going to bring the condemnation? Here's what he says. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of the God, who indeed is interceding for us. What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. As a believer, no one can bring an accusation against you. No one. Who is the no one he's talking about here? Satan. No one can ultimately bring an accusation against you. How do you know that, George? Well, remember what John says? Totally separate letter, written many years later. 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I write unto you that you what? Sin not. But if you sin, you have a what? An advocate. What is he doing for you? 
interceding. Who's that advocate? Jesus Christ. You want another picture? I'll take you over. If you go over to Zechariah, in one of the visions of Zechariah, he sees Joshua the high priest who is standing there with his turban and his priestly gowns, and they are dirty. They're smudged. And he's standing there with the angel of the Lord, and Satan is there, the passage will tell you, accusing Joshua the high priest. And in the vision, Zechariah sees the angel of the Lord rebuke Satan and says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And then he commands for a clean turban to be put on his head and for him to be clothed in white. This is what I'm trying to help you to understand. You are wrecked in defeat. You're, you're living in seven. Oh, wretched man that I am. And he's trying to tell you, listen to me. You got to get the bigger picture. What awaits you is hope. You're going to become like Christ. But in the meantime, who's going to bring an accusation against you? He's interceding for you. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. If you think about my, yeah, it's George. But I paid the price for him. Isn't that awesome? That, that, that's, that's what blows your mind. Here, here's the other thing I want you to see about assurance. Look with me, verse 35 to 36. Okay, here's what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here's what I want you to see. As a believer, nothing can separate you from God's love. You know, as a culture, we look at people who are going through bad times and difficult struggles, and they are diminished in our eyesight. We think there's something wrong with them, because if you've got it together, nothing should be happening wrong. But that's a culture. But here's what I want you to see. In God's chemistry and economy, it's completely different. Going through bad things doesn't affect your relationship with him. So nothing, no distress, no difficulty, not even the sword. Now, what does that mean? Murder, war, not any of that affects your relationship with him. In fact, he goes on and quotes that we are sheep for the slaughter here. But you still belong to him. And nothing's going to change the eternal relationship you have with him. Is that not an awesome thing? So by the way, if you think that something you're doing is affecting your relationship with him, really? If none of that stuff can change it, do you really think your failure, which he knew you were going to do in the first place, which he already took care of through the cross, is going to affect your relationship with him? No. Does he want better for you? Yes. Should you do better? Yes. But you do better because you live in the Spirit and walk by the Spirit to overcome it. But we've already talked about that, right? This is about your assurance and, and being able to understand. So then finally here, not finally, here's, here's the next point I want you to see. Look with me at verse 
Well, here's another point I want you to see out of this. Our daily experiences and difficulties cannot affect our relationship with God. Own that. You know, so many times I hear people say, well, you know, I remember when I was walking with the Lord and he was answering my prayers and he was showing things to me. But, I, but I'm in a dry spell right now, George. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this spell where it's like when I pray, I feel like, and I, I'm tired of having people tell me this, so don't tell me. I feel like my prayers don't go above the ceiling. Are you kidding me? Bad theology. What do you mean bad theology? If you belong to Jesus, who's in you? The Spirit of God. Who is what? God, the third person of the Trinity. So if I'm talking to God, if it doesn't get beyond the ceiling, no problem. He's within me, right? But people will say that. They'll be like, oh, I just feel like there's, there's things aren't just right anymore. He's not. Listen, sometimes he goes through periods where he doesn't talk to you. But he go through those periods because he's testing you. Are you still going to move on with him? Are you still going to hold on to him? Are you still going to move forward? It happens. Nothing, our daily experiences, our difficulties cannot affect our relationship with God. You've got to own that. But guess what? We go by our feelings. And I'm going to be honest with you, you can't go by your feelings. Do you know what I mean? So, okay, Lori and I just celebrated 30 years. You guys should commend her 30 years of putting up with me, okay? But here's the thing. It's beyond feelings. It has to be. It has to be. Because feelings are fleeting. Because sometimes you don't wake up lovable, do you? Or loving. You don't feel like it. Rude awakening for her is when you get sick. So like on our, on our when we were on a honeymoon, I, we got sick. Of course, we were in Mexico, and I guess we drank the water. So we got sick. Now, here's how George handles sickness. She wasn't used to this. She got a rude awakening. When George handles sickness, he gets in bed, covers himself up, leave me alone. And she's wondering, who have I married? She now knows who that is, okay? But that's how I handle things. I'm not wanting to communicate. Do you understand? I'm not wanting to do anything. But listen, I'm telling you, the reason why I'm saying that is it's not based on feelings, So you don't feel it. Okay, that doesn't change anything. Did you understand what I'm saying? He loves you. He died for you. We got to get moving, George. All right, let's keep, here it is. Verse 37, just so you get the picture. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here it is. As a believer, you will ultimately overcome. Even though it seems like the world is against you, you're going to ultimately overcome. What does that mean? You have Jesus.
you'll overcome. Not in this world necessarily. He didn't say that in this world. You'll ultimately overcome where? Man, isn't that used a lot in the book of Revelation? And they overcame to him who overcomes. I give this promise. Overcoming life by being with him. And then finally, here it is, just to reiterate the point, look with me at verse 38 to 39. He says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, or things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here it is. As a believer, just to reiterate the point, it is a certainty Right, listen, a certainty that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's what your faith is in. That's what your hope is in. Yes, it may be terrible right now. And for some of you, it is. Yes, you're struggling with yourself. You're not happy with yourself. I understand. Yes, it seems like the world is against you. And how can it get better? I understand that. But listen to me. While we struggle with that personally, that doesn't change anything concerning your relationship with Christ. Do you understand? He loves you. And that is what's awesome, isn't it? In fact, it reminds me of something. We talked about it this morning. This is the vision that Paul gives us here. I was reminded about it. We studied it in a Habakkuk. So let me go to Habakkuk here. And let me tell you what he told Habakkuk. Don't you hate it when you have a new Bible? You can't find what you're looking for. Here it is. Habakkuk. Here's what he says. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Though it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. There he's talking about the surety of God's word and its fulfillment. What am I bringing that up for? Listen, folks, life is hard. Life is difficult. It's pressing on you. Things don't turn out right. Don't hold on to a promise that isn't for now. Hold on to a promise that's for later. Why? Because it's sure, though it surely takes some time, it's coming. What's coming? You're going to be with him. And ultimately, things are going to be okay when you're with him. So that's where your hope is. That's what you hold on for till later on. Do you understand? Let me pray for you.